Oh, it's all right. <laughs> uh, good evening. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 7. It still sounds a little loud, doesn't it? but my hearing is very good, I guess. Yeah, I'll talk softly. Romans chapter 7, let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our wonderful opportunity to hear his word and be together. Uh, to learn from him, to uh, make great use of this time so that we can really grab hold of this subject. And all subjects, are, of course, are important as we learn God's word. So with uh, humility and reverence, let's bow our heads and pray. Holy Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of learning your word. Thank you for preserving your word and preserving us, providing for us the manifestation of your love through Jesus Christ our Lord and his work in our behalf. We thank you for him and the Holy Spirit within who enables us as you enable us in our weakness and that you 
um, give us the most wonderful life and that you also empower us to live it. Now, we cannot do it on our own, and we know that, and we thank you, Father, that you have uh, given everything that we need. May we see you and see the importance of this life and not be distracted by things that would beset us. And that when we do, Father, uh, do fail, that we thank you for your grace and forgiveness and we gain strength from knowing that you will forgive and have forgiven. Uh, But that also means that we strive forward to please you. And uh, so, Father, we... Just are, are just so humbled to be with you, be together before you, and we ask that we would learn great things tonight with you. We ask in Christ's name, Amen. So, as we have been noting, uh, prayer is both a communication with God and an encounter with God. Uh, <clears throat> an encounter with God is an encounter with holiness, perfect. Uh, blinding holiness, Uh, and because of what he has made us to be in Christ, we get to be in his presence without getting destroyed. So as God said to Moses, you see me and you die, that's not the case with us. And it's not because we're any better than Moses or any smarter than Moses. Uh, Moses is an amazing man of God. He he is, I'd say he was, but he's still still living. But... um, Moses did not have the position that we have. Moses didn't have the imputed righteousness, the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, the position in Christ, adoption, and and church age election. You know, he's elected in Israel, but uh, and but we have all of these things, and God calls us justified. And justified is a legal term, and but when the legal term comes from heaven. It means that through the work of Jesus Christ, we're justified. And it's not anything of us. It's his work, and by our faith, we appropriated that work in our behalf. And hence, the grace of God gives the most amazing gifts to men, men and women. Now, to comprehend all of this and to actually put it into practice, therein lies the trick uh, it's knowing of it is is one part uh, that takes a bit of work uh, be, to know of it, and you, you know you've got to know it enough to remember it, so that when you're living day by day, that you see yourself as righteous and justified and sanctified, uh, and all those things that you got from being a believer, and you've got to remember all of that, and but. Uh, You know, putting it into practice is where the real test of faith comes in. Because for us to put all this into practice, in essence, we've got to, by faith, give our entire selves over. And it means everything. Everything has to go over to God's will. And uh, that is a scary commitment. If we're honest, we all want to say, yeah, I, I, lo- I want to do that and I'd love to do that. If you're honest with yourself, and here, this is where you discover, it's where I have at least, I have discovered more about myself in prayer 
and talking to him. But it's not prayer without Scripture, and I've emphasized that, that the communication between you and God is Scripture-based. It doesn't, it's not based anywhere else. And when you're talking to God about doing the things, right? You can't hide anything from him. There's no point. Don't try and, don't try and trick him. <laughs> don't hold those cards close to your vest. He sees them anyway. And uh, and in your honesty with him, and that's another thing to get over as well. I think is, I mean, you, you know, technically and by knowledge that you're forgiven, and that there's no barrier between you and God, and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But to actually truly open up to God about yourself and everything uh, that takes a bit, a time, and when you do. You know, it's not you're revealing anything to God, is that you're allowing God in. Rooms, uh, I think it's in uh, Proverbs, it's either 20 or 27, it's one of those. It's like 27, 20 or 20, 27, but uh, where it talks about the, the, the lamp of the Lord that goes into the soul. And so it's like God, we'll do it in more modern terms, that God takes his flashlight and goes for a walk inside of your soul. And you've got all these rooms, like in a big old haunted house. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, some doors are open and some doors are closed, locked, padlocked, bolted. <laughs> uh, and you don't want God going in there. And, yeah, you know, he sees what's in there. He's waiting for you to willfully let him in. And what is he going to do with you? It makes me think of Revelation 3, with the Laodicean church. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It, 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 that does not look at all like a salvation verse. Well, some believe it is. I, I know people get all uptight about whether it is or not, but that's not my subject tonight anyway. I'm not going to get into that. But, you know, when he, if you let him in, it says that he's going to come in and dine with you. Not scream at you. <clears throat> but dine with you. And uh, and so, what is he after? Our whole being. For what reason? Because he's a tyrant and he's all high on himself? Well, you know what? He's the only one who can legitimately be, legitimately be a tyrant. But not, and not in any way in the sense that we see human tyrants. Because human tyrants can't be like him. <clears throat> he has authority in all rule. And he is worthy of that. And what does he want for us? Our good. That's all he wants. He is not against you. He is for you. I mean, uh, Jesus Christ on the cross is the perfect and undeniable reality of the fact that God is for us and not against us. So, <clears throat> all of this, you know, putting our life in His hands, being as weak as we are, but also being strong. Right? So we can't say, well, all right, you know, God is, we're going to read here in a minute, we are weak to the core. So, 
now let's not bother. Why don't we just wait for heaven to like do anything right or anything good or be strong? And God doesn't say that at all. God demands of us that in time we are strong and wise and ethical and moral as the heavens are. Right? It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You're the light of the world. Let that light shine. How do I let that light shine? Do your good works before men. How good are the works got to be? Well, be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. Well, I can't pull that off. I know, but <clears throat> Jesus says that is the mark. With me, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, there is no other mark. There is nothing but a perfect bullseye when it comes to God. And so you... Aim for it. Go for it. And you say, but I can't. God says, of course, I know you can't. But God is not going to force us. We know this as well. He's not going to make us. Even if we say, you know, God, I want my heart so bad to be good. He's going to say, well, what? We'll do good. Think good. Do good. Uh, I'm not going to force you to just because you want it real bad. I wish that were the case, honestly, at times. I mean, I understand why he doesn't do that. We'd be a bunch of spoiled little brats. It's just like, you'd be like giving your kids everything they wanted at every moment they wanted it. Monsters they would grow up to be. And so would we be. God says you have to choose it. You have to take the steps. You have to fight the fight. You have to resist, you have to be diligent, you have to reach ahead, you have to say no, you have to say yes, you have to commit. And then God says, when you do that, I will make it happen. And that's kind of what happens here. This is why prayer is so important, because I've got to figure out, in my case, in my individual life, how am I going to do that? And, you know, we could say, God, make me mature. And he will say, right on. But it's not going to be my magic wand. It's not going to happen overnight. I will show you how to be mature. And I am going to require you to take the steps. And so this is why prayer is such a significant part of our growth. But so, so some people will say, well, all i got to do is pray. Heck no. Don't let the pendulum swing or, you know, too far in one direction. In the Christian life, there are probably, I don't know, let's just say by, let's pick a round number, that there's a hundred things that we have to emphasize that are true doctrines. Let's say there's a hundred of them. You know, say there's there's works, there's faith, there's service, there's... Knowledge, there's power, there's prayer, there's, um, you know, what else? <laughs> there's a ton more. I should be, I should be, they should be coming to me rather quickly. Uh, there's uh, adoration, there's thanksgiving, I need to be thankful. Uh, there's, you know, emotion, there's experience, and there's all of these things. And if we emphasize any one of them, we say any one, but any few of them, and exclude the others, we end up creating our own religion. 
And in some cases, people people have done that in their core doctrines like salvation and the deity of Christ and the Trinity are good. But they have so highly emphasized other things that they've made denominations that are, you know, some of the, some of the denominations I think are just fine. And uh, and I'm going to share something about that with you. That in some cases people had no choice but to make a denomination. So you're a Puritan and you want to you you want to practice your religion. You're in England and the Church of England says you can't do that or we will kill you. And they're like, well, all right, we're going to go to America. What are they supposed to do? Start the Church of England in America? No, they start their own church. There's nothing wrong with that. But then the the Puritans kind of you know they emphasized doctrine over other things when they should have emphasized the doctrine just the way that they did and also emphasized everything else. But then again, who of us gets it all right? And here's where prayer comes in. You know, I'm I'm weak and I need help and I need to talk. I need to talk. So it's not all prayer, right? It's prayer and knowledge and application. It's all of it. If we neglect any part, we're robbing ourselves of what we're what we've been designed to do, to be. We've been made in the image of Christ to be in the image of Christ, to live in the image of Christ. We've been made in Christ, and the goal of that, our predestination is to be conformed to his image. Now, I don't want to, we're going to go back to it. It might take a bit, a few classes, but I don't want you to forget that we dealt with uh, praying the Psalms and that we can pray pray the Psalms uh, and you can either pick one, you go in order, you could randomly pick one it doesn't really matter the way i'm doing is that i'm i'm read i'm doing the bible reading every day and i pray, whatever psalm is on that reading i pray it uh the psalms deal with aspects of god and life that are often and i think in most cases are practical lives before god and that's what's so and they're poetic songs that are marvelous. And when you pray the Psalms, you're going to learn, you're going to be meditating on uh, truths that are in those Psalms. And so those are truths that you will learn of when you're speaking to God about them. And also it will cause you to pray about things that you hadn't thought of. And, you know, and what that does is get us out of our rut in prayer and also uh, the staleness that sometimes we can have with prayer. Like, what am I, I don't know what to pray. Grab a psalm. Start praying it. Just read it first. Uh, I I haven't done it a lot. I've been so busy. But, you know, read, read a passage, close the book. I did the, I've done this a little. I kind of got off track of it. But read a passage, close the book. Think about it. Try and summarize it in your own words. Open the book up and read it again and see how close you came. Reread it. Close the book. Summarize it in your mind. And then, you know, once you get some thought, in, I swear, you know, some thought that is going to be important to you 
or relates to the past or what you think might come in the future, you're going to find in that psalm. Or, you know, or, as God will often do for us, whatever we need right now, somehow you're going to be reading about it or hearing about it in class. And, and God is going to say to us, it has invited us to talk to him about it. And so there's a lot of aspects to prayer. There's thanksgiving, there's adoration. I'd put adoration first and then thanksgiving, the worship of God, which if we get that far, we'll talk about tonight a little bit more. Uh, there's petition uh, for ourselves, uh, asking for things, asking for things for others. But there's also this aspect of prayer of the encounter with God in which we're discovering him and his word through prayer. And of course... You know, we're not hearing audibly back from him. You know, if you were to tell a person on the street, some unbeliever who doesn't know anything about this, and you say, yeah, I go to God in prayer so I can learn about the Bible, they'll be like, all right, crazy person, go, you know, go on your way. Because we don't hear anything audibly from him. But we know the Holy Spirit is within us for the purpose of, as Jesus said, he will lead you into all truth. That's what he said in the upper room. And somehow God does it. And, um, and I would say, if I don't get that far today, tonight, when you... See, what we'll often have, too, as we go through our life, and this is a day-by-day thing, right? Christ really told us to live a day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Um, is that throughout our day, we're going to find our minds either pressured, distracted, tempted by sin, maybe fallen into sin. And, <clears throat> and they, that is an opportunity for you in five minutes, three minutes, ten minutes. I don't know how long it takes. I don't, I don't set my watch. But to go to the Father and speak to him immediately about whatever it is. But as you do that, the Lord don't go out of order in the Lord's prayer. And what I mean is, <clears throat> excuse me, all prayers are are addressed. It would we would be pretty confident from this in the Scripture uh, that prayer should be addressed to the Father. So it's our Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. Right before you tell Him anything about this pressure, this problem, this temptation, this sin, whatever. Our Father, holy is your name. And what does that mean to you? His name is holy. And blazingly holy. I don't, I don't even know the word to describe it. And we're not. And he's our Father. Why is that? Because of the death of Christ on our behalf. That we can call him Father. And he is holy. He's in heaven. We're not. He's in the place of holiness and perfection. We're not. And so... <clears throat> right there and then, before you even got to the whatever the problem is, I have experienced nine times out of ten maybe, I don't know what the average is, my problem's gone. By the time I even got to petition him or request of him about it. Because this just standing in his presence... Basically, in my soul, on my knees, before my holy, righteous Father, whose Son died for me, 
who is in heaven, which is in my eternal home, all of a sudden, whatever was pressuring me is long gone. But then, what I do is I move on to still talk about that very thing, thank him for it, and then, you know, the prayer there can go anywhere. But this is an exploration of your encounter and experience with God. And this, I think, is neglected. Five minutes. That could make or break your day. Right? You didn't solve that little problem, that pressure. What, what happened at times? The bitterness grew. The aggravation grew. That led to another sin and then another sin. And I, my day is just crashed like a burning plane. Thank God for sleep. His grace is new every morning. Lamentations 3. Just get up and do it again. But before you get out of bed, make sure you pray. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, the, it's praying the Psalms. Uh, wonderful thing. Now, we saw in Romans 8 that we're all weak. We talked about this yesterday. Uh, when it comes to prayer, the Bible says clearly, in Romans 8:26, we are weak. The Holy Spirit helps our weakness because we don't know how to pray. It's amazing that Paul says that. The one who tells us to pray consistently... He says, ah, you don't know how to do it. So, you know, and it, and it goes together with all what we're going to see here in a second is that if, if I'm this weak lump of flesh that I really am, why should I bother even trying to do anything? And it's because God has cleansed you, right, through the blood of Christ. He has forgiven you, cleansed you, imputed you with righteousness. He indwells you. He has elected you and predestinated you. He has given you a destiny that cannot be broken. And that's why. So, here's Paul, Romans 7.14. For we know that the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. Speaking of the Mosaic law in context, he started the chapter 7 with this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. So I break the law is basically what he's saying. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. Meaning that I'm not, and if I break the law, that means that the law must be good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin which indwells me. Now, first and foremost, this I, right? There's, there's a bunch of I's in this passage. Who's the I? It has to be Paul. He's the author. All the verbs are in the present tense. They're not past. They're present. So is Paul talking about himself before he was saved? No. I mean, this is clear from the language. I actually learned about this passage in Greek class this week, which is just jazzed me. That here, these, are, these present tenses in the first person, I, mean that this is Paul in his spiritual in his born-again and saved life. The Apostle Paul, who is struggling. Paul struggles? 
You betcha. So Paul threw in the towel and he was just a weak man his whole life? Uh Uh-uh. So how did he get from... And look, was he always weak? Yeah, of course he was. But he didn't always think weak and act weak. Why? Because by faith, he, he... tapped into the wisdom and the power of God by faith, because that's what it takes. By faith, he found and, and he discovered it and used it. And he never became, in and of himself, a strong man. Never. Never. He allowed God to use him. And, but he chose these things. It's not like he went into a trance and said, all right, God, use me like a marionette, like I'm a puppet in your hands. No. He went where God told him to go. He said what God told him to do. He thought the way God wanted him to think. And all the while, his flesh is saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And Paul's, no, no, no. Sometimes yes, though. Sometimes Yes. And you know, and God did all kinds of things in his life to show him if, you know, if Paul was willing to go and to think and to do the what, what God willed him to, then God had set up for Paul a plan by which he would be led by God, lovingly, as a father would a son that he's pleased with, lovingly to show Paul how to get through those steps. And for Paul, that's different than for us. But with some similarities. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some... There's going to be a lot of things. In which, if you're willing to go, God is going to show you how. Things are going to happen in your life that are completely under His control. I mean, everything is. But if you're willing to please God by giving Him your life, then you have opened the door for God to mold you. And that's what we miss out on. Right? That's, what, that's, that's the thing that we miss. We're not going to lose our salvation. We're not going to lose our eternal destiny. But we're going to miss seeing what we're designed to see. So, <clears throat> there's a thing here, of course, in verse 17, where Paul says, well, no longer am I the one doing it. Oh, and I do remember this verse from years ago when it was taught to me, and didn't come right out and say it, but with the fact that, you know, it's not really you that sins. It's the sin nature that sins. So you're not really culpable. I didn't come right out and say it. (laughs) But that, of course, is not what Paul means here. We are all culpable. Notice in verse 15, he says, I don't understand. And in verse 17, I'm no longer the one doing it. First, what is I don't understand? The evil in our hearts. Do you understand it? Do you understand? Do you ever say, why did I do that? I mean, come on, that's a stupid question. We all do it. Now, here, we have to be careful, we're not talking about Christians who are really looking for a reason to justify their sinful lives. That's not the issue here. They're completely deceived. This is a one who wishes, truly desires to do the will of God. 
and looks at himself in the mirror of his soul and says, I don't get you. What? Why did you do that? Don't you know better than that? Have you had these conversations with yourself? I've had too many of them. The evil in our hearts is a mystery to us. Paul, in this case, is a believer in love with God's law, in love with the ethics of God. He desires to do them. He sees the purity of God's life and desires it. But he finds that he can't be perfect. And he, often, and he also finds that at times, see where it says, no longer am I the one doing it? <clears throat> we could say, well, he's just blaming his sin nature. Or does he mean, I've lost control? And that rings to me as an interpretation. Uh, and I have to say, it's more of my opinion. <laughs> but I did find, you know, it's funny when you have an opinion on a verse if you have, like I have about five or six commentaries on Romans on my shelf, I can go find the commentary that agrees with me and go, aha, there it is, I'm right. And that doesn't mean I'm right. <laughs> if you get somebody to agree with you who's written a book, it doesn't mean that he's right or she's right and you're right, okay? But he is certainly not blaming his sin nature and saying, I am not, because he says, wretched man, that I am. He doesn't say wretched sin nature that I have. He says wretched man that I am. He is culpable, and he knows that. <clears throat> and what makes me think this is a, is a good, at least a good, and, and something to be considered as an interpretation, is because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of the flesh, loss of control. So Paul is not innocent. It was his own error, his bad decision, uh, his playful entertainment of lustful thoughts, evil thoughts that give control away. We lose control. And it's, it starts simple, isn't it? One thought, one thing that I consider, some something that I entertain a little. It's a little fun thought. Temptation to sin that I want. I mean, obviously, if they're temptations, there's stuff I want to do. But I have to say no to. And if I give in, control is lost. The best of us in the body of Christ cannot, cannot maintain self-control all the time. Can't. So we give up. Heck no. In fact... God's a genius. <laughs> I'm sure he's up in heaven going, oh, thanks, Joe. Uh, no, he's an absolute genius because in, <clears throat> in this, when we learn this, it's, it actually makes you want to go for it more because if it were I could do this, then you know, that's one thing. I don't know what label, to, but we can't, so there's no label to put on that. But when I, when I realize I'm weak and I can't do this, but if I go to do it, I will see it happen. In other words, I'm going to see in me God work. I'm going to see God do a miracle. 
Right? He's in me to do. That's my favorite passage on that. I knew I was going to go to it. Is in Philippians 2. So, Paul says in Philippians 2.12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out means bring to fruition your salvation. That means grow up spiritually. So, he says that. And in verse 12, the emphasis is, just as you have always obeyed, continue obeying. And then he says in verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And, you know, it's a a dialectic. It's, wait a minute, is it up to me or does God just do it? Well, it's both. When I obey and work out, bring to fruition the reason why I was called, the reason why I was saved, and God says, you have, by your will, opened up to me your life. And so we're too weak to do it. But when we want to, truly want to, by faith mature, it means that we're going to be willing to give over to God our minds, our thoughts, our ways, our works, and what we want to do, our loves, our desires. Uh, We're going to give those to him and therefore open up, give him the green light to use them. Therefore, to use us, to empower us. Uh, and this is marvelous. And, and so, and don't forget, though, as the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us wisdom, as we hand over our lives to his will, to empower us, to give us wisdom, to guide us, to all of that, they're all pointed towards one thing, so that we don't get distracted with my power and my wisdom. And then you can get like, you're overloaded on wisdom and you, you've neglected power or you're, you've overloaded on emotion or something and you've neglected the Bible. All of these things that the Holy Spirit gives to us in controlling us to or in filling us to do what he wills us to do is to know Jesus Christ. The Spirit will take of mine and disclose it to you. And so it, this, the whole journey is about knowing him. In and out. Uh, I mean, how many times have you have you been just jazzed by a, a message or a Bible class? To be like, you know what? That that is it. I am I am sold out. And then I don't know whether it could be an hour later or a week later that you, you know you're not so sold out anymore. I, I I'm I'm one of them. I I am not. I'm, I'm here to teach. I am no different. Um, and you're like, I don't get you. And no kidding. Does this mean we give up? Never. Never. Right? Does God say, if you failed this time, I'm not going to empower you if you're obedient tomorrow or in the next hour? No. Grace is grace. If you failed a minute ago, you failed yesterday, today, it's open. The door to the new and living way is always open. 
So obviously it's not Paul saying that he's not personally responsible for his sins when he says, I'm no longer the one doing it. It means more like I'm not in control of myself. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The, fret, the flesh has no one con- to control it besides God. Uh, are we good at controlling our flesh? That's another dumb question. I have a lot of rhetorical questions tonight that are dumb. Self-control only God can give. But we have to want it. Right? So we have, to, we have to make the decision by faith that I'm going to give to you, God. I'm going to make the decisions uh, that you want me to make. God will empower us to do that as we're willing to do them. So, therefore, this, is not, uh, this does not apply to the antinomian, which is the kind of Christian who... Uh, antinomian means that you proclaim to be something that you're not. And <clears throat> I, I was an antinomian for a while. I remember when we uh, spoke on antinomianism years ago, that, remember, Scott Griffith uh, bought a gnome, a garden gnome, and he put a circle with a line through it over it. That garden gnome is in my backyard still. Yeah, to remind me that I'm an antinomian. Uh, So it doesn't apply to the antinomian who's looking for an excuse for his bad behavior. It's not. It's a sin nature, man. It's not me. It's the old. Remember Flip uh, Flip Wilson? I I don't even remember what he looked like. I just remember he dressed up like a woman and said, the devil made me do it. He was hilarious. So, you know, nothing in the Word of God gives us the excuse anywhere that, you know, it's not us that do it. Uh, So the flesh's lack of control is more like an appetite. And that's what it's described as, actually. The the Greek word means uh, splagnon. It means your guts, your inner, you know, where your your, uh, solar plexus or whatever. That, you know, it means that, what? You have an appetite. I'm hungry, I'm going to get that. I'm hungry for this, I'm going to go for that. And flying from one sinful hunger to the next. And it's awful. Right? Sin nature is awful. And as Paul depicts it in Romans, especially chapter 5, that sin is an alien invader. Right? Did God design the world to have sin in it? That's blasphemy. No. Sin in us is an alien invader. It's not supposed to be here. And it has invaded us, and this alien power brings us into subjection. And that's what Paul is underscoring here. You are weak. And if you let the sin nature have any sway over you, you will be out of control and you won't understand what the hell you're doing. So the beauty of this is that our weakness is helped by the Spirit. Our weakness is helped by God the Holy Spirit so that we can do what He asks. What do we have to do? Obey, trust, learn, pray, rinse and repeat. I, you know, there's more I could add. In. I think uh, be alert, sober-minded, be alert. That's another one that's super important. Uh, and one waking day. <laughs> if you're like, if, 
My sin nature is wily. I, I know well, it's not just mine. I, all of yours, he's a, he, is, he or she is a tricky little nasty jerk. And, you know, there, there'll be times where, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll get, you're, you're going to be, you're be uh, righteous like this for years? You think you can pull that off? You've got years to go, buddy. And I think, no. Years? Oh my God. It just sounds so long. And I forget. No. no. It's just today. It's just today. Don't worry about tomorrow. That's one of the reasons why Jesus kept the rapture uh, imminent. Or, or and death. Death is always imminent. We're always a day closer. That, uh, you know, you might not make it till tomorrow. Not that it matters. Because whatever it is, God geniusly gives us sleep. If we're awake all the time, then, you know, like vampires, I guess. Then, and, uh, <clears throat> like it's always going on. Right? There is no... Don't worry about tomorrow. Not if you're, I mean, the clock will say or the calendar will say it's tomorrow, but without sleep, it really ain't tomorrow. But the fact that we have to crash and go unconscious, that's a good thing. So uh, all of us have this weakness. We have to declare war on it. See, what God tells us here is, I'm going to show you how weak you are, and then I want you to declare war on it. Oh, you say, God, you are crazy. <laughs> he is. Well, he's not like anybody I've ever met, has, is he? <laughs> he's, he's out of this world, I would say. So, Romans 7:18. for Paul continues, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing in me is present, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I wish to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. All right? I've lost control. If I find then the principle, I, sorry, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I agree, right? He's saying, I wish to do good. I agree that the law of God is uh, correct and righteous. And please, notice how the, the writers, at least the translators, have in verse 14 with a capital L in law, meaning that in the context of the chapter that Paul was referencing the Mosaic law, but here, later on, now the law has a small, a lowercase l. And that's because the context calls for that. Because <clears throat> he says the law of God, right, in verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God. And that would apply to any law. And it's not, for us, the Mosaic law has been fulfilled. It doesn't go away for us. It's just been, it's been fulfilled. So we're not, we don't perform the rituals. We don't perform uh, the feasts, the festivals, the rituals, that's not what, we're not under those. 
But the ethics of the law, most certainly. And so the law of God. And, and so Paul says here, I joyfully, like I'm happy about it. Don't miss that word joyfully. I'm happy about the law of God in my inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. Does this sound familiar? The flesh wars with the spirit and the spirit wars with the flesh. Galatians 5.16 <clears throat> So, And then uh, continuing in making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Conclusion, wretched man that I am. Oh, it's brilliant. Anyhow, and if we stop here at a message, we'd say, well, all right, let's go, uh, you know, let's go do whatever the heck we want because obviously there's no hope. We're all wretched. If the Apostle Paul is a wretched man, then all of us are. But he's not done. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who is going to set me free from this? Jesus Christ our Lord. So now on the one hand, and, and as he says here, he's like, well, now he continues and he doesn't say, well, this dualism in me and this battle in me isn't gone because I'm a saved man, because I have Jesus Christ who, to, who has freed me. He continues in the last part of verse 25, so then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin, I still have it. So, Jesus has set me free. The story continues. right? We know Paul is saved. As, he's talking about himself as a saved man. And he has this incredible struggle and this incredible weakness. And he concludes here that I am useless and worthless, but Jesus has set me free. And yet still, there are, I still have this flesh that wants to obey the law of sin. And I still have a mind that loves the law of God and wants to serve God. So the, the conflict is still within me. <clears throat> now, when the original is written, when Paul, actually Paul would have dictated this letter. We're going to talk about that a little bit on Sunday. I found out today why the apostles dictated their letters. It's beautiful. Um, so he, there's no chapter breaks. There's no verses. There's no punctuation. Because a piece of paper... At that time, in our money, I read somewhere that it's about a hundred bucks a sheet in our money. And so I said, well, you know, couldn't he just raise the money and, and write just long letters with big, you know, write multiple pages instead of trying to squeeze it all in there, which is what they did. And uh, But you remember, as he sends it to the churches, it has to be copied and copied and copied. And if Paul has money that's been raised for him, what about these churches that have nothing? Got to keep those letters short and concise. Isn't that amazing? That God kept his word concise because he... Yeah. What if he uh, decided to write the Bible in our age? I mean, God can put technology any time in history that he wants and say they all have laser printers back then or a printing press. They don't. It's got to be hand copied on paper that is scarce and expensive. So anyway, 
There's no chapter breaks. There's no verses. So as he says, I, on the other hand, with my flesh serve the law, rather than discovering our weakness and giving up with great depression and woe is me, why don't I just live for the flesh? I can't do it anyway. Whatever crazy, stupid excuse that our flesh would love for us to have. We press on because why? Oh, the miracle will happen. He promises it. This is why, you know, I'm trying to get a prayer here, but I'm loving this in this part of our of our journey. Uh, that we've been talking a whole lot lately. When I say lately, I mean for years, especially since we started Ephesians chapter 4, which was all about our commands to live and walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And and and, and the bar's been high. Almost every message. It's been, you know, we got we got work to do. We got a job to do. We've got you know, we've got to clean up our acts. You know, not those words. I'm using colloquial words, but uh, and you know, we have to recognize in the midst of all that we've been called to do that we are incredibly weak and you can't do it. And I remember thinking in years ago when I learned I learned this. You can't do it, but God can do it. And I just I was like, Well, you know, I'm a practical man. I, I wanna know how does that formula you just told me in Bible class work in my life? If I can't do it, then I'm not going to try and do it. And I'm going to wait for God to do it. Okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> uh, so what happens now? I'm waiting. And nothing happens now. So it, it, there's more to it than... God can do it. You can't do it. <laughs> Go in peace. You know, no. It, it's you have to do it, and it's going to be hard at times. Really hard at times. Hence the mega church. Right. <laughs> You're not going to hear that at. What are, I don't even know the name of his church. I just, you know, I've seen it. We were talking about it today in theology class because we're, we're talking about church and theology class. But, you know, uh, Olstein's church, you know, it's, it's a bunch of people who follow him. Is, is Christ emphasized? I don't know a whole lot about it. But what I've heard is, and I should be careful about that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's accurate that, I've heard from reputable people that that church is not really about Christ and really about God. It's about people. And, that, and yeah, man, let's make it about people. Isn't the church about people? No, it's not. The church is about the head. The people are in the church. It makes me think I want to do the hand thing. Look, look here's all the people. Maggie really likes that. Uh, the people are in the church, but it's not about us. It's for us. It's grace. It's favored to us, given to us. Things are given to us. But are those things about us? Not a one of them. But in that thought, we have to make sure that we, we don't lose the fact that we, all right, if it's not about us, then I don't matter? No, that's a wrong conclusion. 
You do matter greatly. God loves you more than you can possibly fathom. But you're not the cause. You're not even the effect. You're graced out. And you're very, very important to your Father. And so as we roll into, you know, we're not going to give up on this. In fact, if we want to see this work in our lives, we want, if, you know, if we want to be those who love and have joy, and you know, we know sin will take joy away. Um, we want whatever we want. You know, the good things, we want peace, we want to influence others for good. We want to enjoy God to the maximum. I mean, that's what it's really all about, is enjoying Him. Then uh, if we go for it, we're going to see God is going to do it. And, you know, we're going to see the miracle. So Paul then now rolls into Romans 8.1. So Romans 8.1, just a few passages out of Romans and that'll do it. Uh, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see how we... He strategically puts that right here. Romans 8 is the mountaintop of Christianity. It really is. Because Romans 8 is all about not what we're supposed to do. Romans 8 is all about who we are. Who we are what? In Christ There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Mosaic law, we are free from it, and now we have a law, which includes much, actually all the ethics of the Mosaic law. But now it is not Moses' law, but the law of the spirit, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Who has life in Christ Jesus? We do. Who has the Spirit of God in them? We do. And so, who has the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? We do. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, make anyone righteous, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Condemned it in the flesh of Christ. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And you see how verse 4 can be mighty confusing, because we're talking about being saved. The requirement of the law has been satisfied. It just said it. That the law, uh, the law was, uh, God did, God did sending his son in the likeness of flesh. What the law could not do, God did. But then it says, for those of us who walk according to the spirit, the requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. And that would mean, in essence, that would mean salvation by works. It would mean those of us who walk in life, because walk in, in the New Testament always means conduct or a way of life. Our way of life is by the spirit. And therefore, Paul is not saying here that the requirement of the law is fulfilled in those who actually experientially walk by the Spirit. He's saying the requirement of the law is fulfilled in those who are of the type, who are those who 
we don't walk according, we don't live according to the flesh. We can. Paul just, it's Romans 7, we just read it. We can live according to the flesh, but we're no longer designed for that. Paul said in Romans 6 that the flesh has been crucified. That we've been crucified with Christ. And we've been made alive with him. So we're made for this. That's what Romans 8 is. Adopted as son. We have assurance that this is what we've been made for. To walk by the Spirit. Now, here's the, here's the question. This is, and the challenge is immense. It's immense. It's the most challenging thing God has ever given to mankind. It's way harder than any physical challenge you could face. Are you willing to walk by means of the Spirit? Day in and day out. And I'll say, yeah, of course I am. Yes, God, you know I do. You know I want it. (laughs) I know you want it. Are you willing to do it? Is he going to force us to? No. Walking with the Spirit is like walking with Christ. I don't see any. It's the Trinity, you know. People have gotten, they're all tied up in a knot over what's the filling of the Spirit, what's walking by means of the Spirit. I don't see any difference in them. If If I'm just looking at the Scripture... If I'm looking at theological books that people are writing about it, then I see a different story. And I, okay, I'm still growing in grace and knowledge. (laughs) But when I see it in the scripture, if I'm just, if I'm just based on the scripture, there isn't distinct, there aren't clear distinctions. Being filled with the Spirit is what? Walking by means of the Spirit is what? It is, it is doing what God has wanted you to do and do it. And God will do it if you're willing. And it is challenging. The sin nature is going to fight you, as they say, tooth and claw. Vicious. is vicious. Verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery again, leading a lead, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, "Abba, Father." That's our. How often do we cry out, "Abba, Father"? Well, if you're looking at it in terms of prayer, multiple times a day. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. Verse 23, so that's our assurance of who we are in Christ, in with an inheritance, and we are in the family of God, and we have God the Father as our Father. And then in verse 23, we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, we're the first to be dwelt by the Spirit of God, even, our, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Right? We have a destiny. This is for every believer, but we groan. Why do we groan? Romans 7. What I want to do, I don't want to do. <laughs> and it, it's hard. So, And then verse 26, And in the same way the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the spirit what the knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You're too weak to know how to pray. Pray anyway. Pray because the spirit is going to help. 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, it's every believer, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that's every believer, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, every believer. And whom he predestined, he also called. Is every believer called? You bet they are. And whom he called, those he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What are we going to say to these things? Romans 8. It's a mountaintop. What are we going to say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Shazam. Weak, feeble, sinful creatures. Look at what we've been given. And this is something to pray to God about too. Do I really see this, God? Do I understand what I've been given? Because if I do, it's going to overpower the things that, other things that I want that are getting in the way. Do I really see this? Can you help me understand it? God is going to answer all those prayers. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this tremendous plan and this tremendous election and predestination that you've given to us in the church, all of us, as we see here, are weak and feeble, like the great Apostle Paul. And yet you have blessed every one of us with the Spirit, with the truth, with adoption, with our destiny in heaven, with election, predestination, glorification. You have given us Christ and with him all things. Every one of us have been recipients of this grace. We pray, Father, that through your Spirit we would see it clearly and therefore have our hearts changed by what we see. Your glory to our glory. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.